Isaiah 53 says, Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord revealed? He grew up like a tender shoot, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, and nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and like a sheep before her shearers is silent. So he did not open his mouth. Very early in the morning, on the day that we call Good Friday, the chief priests with the elders, the teachers of the law, and the whole Sanhedrin, basically every religious leader in the city, made the decision to turn Jesus over to Pilate, the Roman governor of Judea. Since they had no grounds against him other than religious ones, they got false witnesses to testify against Jesus in matters that would concern Roman law as well. What charges do you bring against this man? What charges do you bring? Sir, if you were truly not a criminal, we would not apologize for bringing to you. Yes, but I ask you one question. He's very divisive. He is subversive. He opposes taxes to Caesar. He makes claims against the Roman Empire. I'm sure you'll find him a diet for him. Are these accusations true, they say about you? Have you nothing to say for yourself? Is it true you oppose paying taxes to Caesar? Or perhaps you intend to set yourself up, your own empire, against Caesar and against all of Rome? I have examined this man. I find no charges against him. If this is a matter of your Jewish theology, take yourself and judge by your own laws. Sir, according to your law, we have no right to execute this man to the best that he deserves. You, you are to your consent. He claimed to be Christ, the Son of God. He called himself our king. Traitor? Traitor? Blasphemer! Is it true? Are you the king of the Jews? Yes. He deserves to die. Pay taxes. You brought this one to me as one inciting rebellion against the people. I have examined him in your presence. I find no charges that he's guilty of that deserves the death penalty. So I will punish him. I will flog him and I will release him. No, it's not enough.
Will no one speak for this man? No one. Then I am innocent of this man's blood. He is your responsibility. Let his blood be on us and on our children. That's right. I'll take responsibility. Surely he took our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray, each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and placed it on Jesus' head, pressing the three-inch thorns down into his scalp until blood trickled down his face and neck. They put a purple robe on him and mocked him, calling him king of the Jews. They chained him to a post and flogged him to within an inch of his life, spitting at him and ripping out handfuls of his beard. They made him carry his own cross to the place of the skull, the hill of Golgotha, where they crucified him with two other criminals, one on either side. They prepared a sign that read, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, and they hung it on the cross above his head. They drove three spikes into his body, one in each hand and a third through his crossed feet. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He screamed. And they continued to taunt. I am thirsty, he said, to which they offered him a sponge soaked with vinegar. It is finished, he cried out and gave up his spirit. Thunder rolled. The sky went black. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split. Tombs broke open. And a soldier declared, surely he, he, was the Son of God. On this day, Jesus fulfilled the words spoken nearly 700 years ago by the prophet Isaiah that a Messiah would come who would be the Lamb of God, the Savior of the world. God, we thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for sending your only son. Pray that today that um, you would help us all not only remember that, but choose to live it out. To live freedom out. 
to live peace out, to have hope of eternal life with you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm usually down there, but um, my socks are really wet and my shoes are really wet. And um, I'm going to preach in my socks today from a drier place. So uh, it's kind of strange being up here. Are we doing all right? Kids, how are you? Let me hear a little bit louder. How are you doing? That is awesome. What about big kids? How are you doing? (laughs) All right. Why are you guys so serious? You act like you got bills to pay. You act like you got kids to take care of. You act like your kids put their kids on you and make them babysit. (laughs) Can I get a witness? We're going to be Pentecostal by the end of the day, right? (laughs) All right. We want to take that story, the Easter story, right? I remember a couple years ago, a youth a youth asked me, they said, what's Easter about? I said, the resurrection. They said, resurrection, what is that? You've been celebrating Easter your whole life, and Easter was about the Easter bunny and eggs your whole life? He said, no, it's about Jesus. I just don't know what the resurrection means. Without the resurrection, Jesus wasn't who he said he was. Without the resurrection, he's just you or me, sinners, messed up. But with the resurrection, he was who he said he was. He was God, but yet he was fully man. He was Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. So because he was who he said he was, then what he said was true. And what that means is that you and I have the opportunity to live for eternity, sin-free, pain-free, happily, forever. We have hope of eternal life. Amen? The resurrection is paramount. Nevertheless, I want to try to share with you today a practical story that's about Jesus, but is actually about Peter. And I believe we all can relate to Peter. So if you have your Bibles or if you have your smartphones, you can turn to Luke 22. And I'm going to try to read to you verses 54 through 62. I'm going to start. Then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard, he sat down and sat down together. Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him said, this man was also with him, referring to Jesus. But Peter denied it, saying, woman, I don't know him. I don't know him right? That's how you kids would say it, wouldn't you? I don't know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are, the, are one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. 
And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted saying, certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a galleon. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the Lord saying how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went on and wept bitterly. I think there's a Peter in all of us, right? Peter sinned. And maybe we have never sinned the way that Peter had sinned. I don't think we'd never, none of us have ever had the opportunity to deny Jesus face to face in the sense of Jesus is being taken away and we deny him three times. But you know what? We all are sinners, right? And you know what's interesting about the rooster? Is especially being here in Berg, right? Clark County, Champaign County, Logan County, Union County, right? Your neighbors in the house have roosters up in their bedroom, right? It happens. What do you hear every morning? You hear a rooster. Every morning, Peter had to be triggered by the fact that this rooster was reminding him that he denied Christ three times. And it seems like each day, as, as sinners, as people who fall short, there's also triggers that remind us of our sins as well, right? A school, a house, a friend, a beverage, a package of something. There's triggers. A saying. Peter at this point had to likely feel extremely guilty, frustrated. He probably questioned his purpose, his value, and much more. Anyone ever feel that way? You do something and you just question and you feel messed up. Similar, similarly, many of us today feel extremely guilty, hurt, frustrated, sinful, angry. We doubt, but we often seem to be reminded of it. Maybe some of you this week didn't talk to your kids the way you wanted to. Maybe you punched them just a bar above what you thought was appropriate. Maybe you had an interaction with a family member, a coworker, Or maybe you little kids cheated on a test. No, no, no. Maybe you cheated on a test. Maybe, maybe the cashier at Walmart or Aldi accidentally gave you too much change and you kept it. Instead of doing what was right, the Lord blessed you, right? It was the Lord. We've all crossed boundaries, right? Every single one of us. Or maybe today you just don't feel your value. 
See, Peter, in the peak moment of his life, or in a peak moment of his life, in a situation that he was even warned about, still chose to deny Christ. Luke 22 says this earlier in the chapter. Simon, Simon, so Simon Peter, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. So Peter is trying to act like he has it all together. Lord, I won't. I won't deny you. Not me. No. Maybe my brother Sammy, he'll do it. <laughs> Sammy will do it. Not me. Simon Peter had convinced himself that he was doing it right. That he was living it just right. That he was so convinced that he had it all together. That he loved Jesus above everything else in his life. I mean, Peter hung out with Jesus all the time. He was taught by Jesus. He was called by Jesus. He was sent by Jesus. But yet, in the midst of all of this, we have to remember that leadership and high-pressure moments doesn't make you something. It actually exposes who you are. And guess what? Peter found himself in a high-pressure moment. A good friend is being sent to the cross. But yet now, he's afraid because he might get taken there too if he, if he relates to this man. In this high-pressure moment, someone who hung out with Jesus constantly was exposed. A very disciple himself was a sinner. He denied Christ three times. How many of you guys like tea? Some hot tea. All right, we got some hot tea drinkers in here. Coffee? All right. You guys really know Jesus. Tea drinkers, bow your head. Oh, man, let's not even talk about Michigan fans. Oh, we're in the championship. It's basketball. No one watches basketball. God bless you. It's like putting a tea bag in hot water. What happens? Its contents are exposed. Peter, in this high-pressure moment, his contents were exposed. A man who hung out with Christ, but yet a man in that moment was still a sinner. He still needed God. See, Romans 3.23 says this, All have sinned, all of us today have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And 1 John 1.8 says this, If we say we have no sin, if you and I today say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us.
you're messed up. I'm messed up. As I shared with us several months ago, we're all dirt bags. Made from the dirt of the earth. And that's okay. What do dirt bags need? What do sinners need? We need a savior. We need atonement for our sin. See, here on earth, we have laws that require um, payment, right? You speed, you get a ticket. You speed too many times and get too many tickets, you get your license taken away. If you drink and drive, there's time, right? You do the time. So, how good are we as humans? What can bridge that gap? Enough soup kitchens? Enough, um, enough dollar bills in the offering basket? What about praying for your family? What about always acting like you have everything together? What about being the gentleman that holds the door for the line at Kroger um, for the next 35 people? Does that earn your way? Does that bridge the gap? How can we earn our way to heaven? See, what separates Christianity from all other religions is other religions believe that you can earn forgiveness, that you can work, right, for the forgiveness of sin in hopes, hope, that you might make it to heaven. Christianity understands you can't earn it. You can't do it. It's not about you. It's not about what you do or how you do it, or what you give. See, I believe if we could earn our way to heaven, the Bible would be explicitly clear by what people would have to do when they sin. So all my fellas in here, when you're at the mall with your wife, right? And blonde walks by. Plop, 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 right? What do you do when you sin? How serving at the soup kitchen is going to earn you your way to heaven? No. Or ladies, when your husband's at work and you're sitting with, with the other ladies, oh, you won't believe what my husband did. He's so, he's so this and so that and so this. Oh, and you don't even want to talk about that girl at church. She'd be faking. We fall short. Clearly stereotyping, right? I believe that if we could earn our way to heaven, the Bible would be explicitly clear what we would have to do. So for example, we would read in the Bible, in the book of payments, it might say, you shall do donate three bags of fine linen 
to the oldest navy for sin that result in horse speeds over 55 miles an hour. So when you speed, you should, shall donate bags of linen to someone, right? It would be clear. Or what about this? In the book of Last Chance, it would say something like, you shall serve at the church full time to forgive your sins of gossip. The Bible, one, those aren't books. Payments and um, Last Chance are not books of the Bible. What we know is that these are not only not real books, but they're not even close to real options of atonement. What we have to look to for atonement is not ourselves, not our actions, but we have to look to the empty cross. We have to look to the empty grave. See, in 2 Corinthians 5, for our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The empty cross is so important. The empty cross is the supreme symbol of God's love. Jesus was not forced to die. He wasn't. Who could force God to do anything? No one can force that. Jesus said that he was the good shepherd, that he would lay down his life for his sheep. He laid down his life freely because his love for you and I. Freely he laid down his life. This was not a love of something um, he found a sense of obligation to. This was a love for his enemies those who sinned against him that he chose to do it. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. After Christ was beaten and nailed to the cross, some soldiers came. So he's been up here for a while, right? He was beaten, carried his cross, trying to take his last breaths, right? It's like me after I eat Chipotle too fast. But worse, he was trying to breathe. So what was going to happen is they, you know, with, with the nail in his, in his legs, people could push themselves up, right? So they were coming to break his legs so he could no longer push himself up. But as the soldiers came back, they found that he was already dead. But just to make sure, just to make sure what they did, is they took a spear and put it in the side. John 19.34 says this, Instead, one of the sol sh soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water, ensuring that he was dead. Without Christ on the cross, we have no hope. But because of the cross, we have the opportunity 
for eternal life, peace, and contentment in heaven. Our sins to be forgiven and the ability to walk in a relationship with Christ. Now, why is the empty tomb so important? Christ died and was put into a tomb, right? Kind of his grave. And it was protected by soldiers. What they didn't want to happen was people to come steal Jesus' body and say, oh, he resurrected. So they protected it. On guard. Brink security was there 24-7. So we look at Matthew 24 and we paraphrase it. Early, uh, early in the morning, some fragrance were brought to the tomb by some women, and they were expected to be greeted by some guards. But the tomb, which would have had to have been moved by a backhoe, the tomb was rolled away, and women were a- and the women were able to freely enter. As they entered, they saw an angel sitting, stating that Jesus has risen. What did Jesus do? He proved that he was who he said he was. That if you destroyed his temple, meaning his body, he would raise it three days later. And that's what he did. The resurrection of Christ is paramount because without it, he would be no different than the pet goldfish you want at the fair that lives in your heart forever. You know how that happens? You, you have a pet goldfish, and that goldfish lives with you forever. I remember Goldie. That's a good goldfish name, isn't it? Goldie. I remember Goldie, and I'll never forget Goldie. If Christ didn't raise from the grave, he's no different living in our hearts than just a memory of our old goldfish. He's more than that, though. Jesus just doesn't live inside of us. He makes us a new creation. So what does this mean? What does this mean for you and I? Let's look back at Peter as we all can identify as Peter today. Sinners. Neglecting God. If not by our words, often by our actions. And if not by our actions, certainly our thoughts. We deny him. We are all Peter in this story. Peter was a sinner, knowing he messed up recently, right? He denied Christ, even after saying he wouldn't, and decided that it was probably time for him to go away and go fishing, right? When you mess up, it's probably time to go fishing. How many of you guys like some fishing? A few of you. So he was going fishing. He was fishing with some friends. Maybe sobbing. Maybe thinking a lot about his mistake. So him and some disciples were out fishing and they couldn't catch a thing. Not one thing. I don't know about you guys, but if I'm fishing on one side of the boat for some, some time, I'm sure I'd probably try the other side of the boat and then try the other side of the boat. He wasn't catching anything. Different kinds of bait, I'm sure, with the nets. Just nothing was there. 
had these big old nets, couldn't catch a fish. Someone appeared on the shoreline and they said, hey, try the other side of the boat. Could you imagine how um, frustrated you would be when you were out there fishing and then some wise guy from shore says, hey, just try the other side of the boat. Mind you that you're probably a professional fisherman. That would be somewhat rude, wouldn't it? Try the other, try the other side of the boat. So, what happened? They tried it. Quickly they realized there's something different about this guy. Wait a second. That's Jesus. It was Jesus there. They caught 153 fish on the other side of the boat. And on one side, they couldn't catch a thing. On the other side, they were catching too many. Jesus walked up around shore, yep, and told them to throw the other side of the boat. And then Jesus invited them in for breakfast. And I'll tell you one thing. I know Jesus' cooking is better than Waffle House because he didn't call them in using the endearment term of hun. Right? Hey, hon, come on in. So we know, we know his cooking was better than, than Waffle House. But you know what? This wasn't a ghostly Jesus. The resurrected Jesus wasn't ghostly. It wasn't something that you could put your hand through. It was a tangible body. Proving yet again that what was once dead three days later came back to life in a tangible, solid body. John 21 says this, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time. Insecurities, right? Man, I just denied God. I just denied Jesus. And now he's asking me three times. Same very three times that I denied him. And now he's asking me three times to make sure I'm really saying and mean what I really mean. Do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. What was Jesus doing here? Did he not know Peter's heart? Of course he did. He's God. So what does it mean? Why is he saying, feed my sheep, feed my sheep? See, Jesus died on the cross for Peter's sins. Just like he did 
for you and I. What Jesus was doing was recommissioning Peter to do the work he did at first. He denied Jesus three times. He sinned. Then we had the cross and the blood of Jesus was spilt for that sin. Right? To be recommissioned to do the work that God wanted. You and I are recommissioned each day. It's not about how good you become. It's not about how many soup kitchens you serve. It's about the blood of Christ pouring over you so that you can be recommissioned into the world. He was saying, look, Peter, you're forgiven. I want you to do my work. I care for you to do my work. Feed my sheep. He didn't say, Peter, if you loved me, you wouldn't have denied me. Peter, do you love me? No, you don't. You wouldn't have denied me. Peter, do you love me? No, you don't. You wouldn't have denied me. He said, Peter, if you love me, go do my work. Here's the keys. Here's the keys to the kingdom. Go do it. When we mess up, Jesus is still willing to send us out. He restored Peter to a place that no man or no thing could restore him. You want to know where he was restored? He was restored to a place with a relationship with Jesus Christ. And out of that relationship, he could go out and feed the sheep. He said, Peter, you are still a part of the team, even though you have sinned. Christ was making it known that Peter's sins were forgiven. He didn't turn to the book of works. He didn't turn to the book of last chance. He said, your sins are forgiven. He didn't give Peter anything to do, anything to earn. Why? Because he died on the cross for that sin. Don't let anything ever take away from you living into your God-given destiny, into your purpose. Even if you mess up, confess to God to be forgiven and confess to man to be healed. Keep on feeding the sheep. Keep on being good parents. Keep on being a great spouse. Keep on being good grandparents. Even when you mess up, Today I want you to know that no matter what you have done, what you have seen, what you have said, what you have promised, there is a real promise for you that God is not mad at you and that he wants to set you free. Romans 10.9 says this, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord of the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's how, you, that's how you're saved. That's how you live forever. Confess with your mouth, believe in your heart. 
that Jesus is Lord. So if that's how I get saved, guess what I don't have to do when I mess up? I don't have to go earn it. You know how many people I talk to and they come to me um, wherever, um, at Walmart, in the office, at church, calling me on the phone, Joey, I messed up, what can I do? What? Where can I give some money? Who can I serve? No one. There's this idea within us that, that we can actually give something back to God other than our surrender. All we can offer him is our heart and our surrender. Romans 10.9, I'll read it again. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. No more works. So today, I want to give you guys that opportunity. If you've never done that, if you have never, ever, ever confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believed in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, if you've never done that and would like to do that today, just open up your hands like this and I want to pray for you. All right, let's close our eyes. So if that's you today, you can, just, you can just raise your hand. And if you just want to give your life back to Christ, if you feel like you've been running and rebelling and you just need something new, you want to say, God, I want to give my life back to you, then you guys can just go ahead and raise your hands too. Praise God. Let's pray. God, today we confess that you are king. You are Lord. We can't earn it. We don't deserve it. We can't earn it, God. You are king. And we confess that. We thank you for sending your son to die on the cross for our sins so that we can have eternal life, that we can be set free from the punishment of sin. Thank you for restoring us. Thank you for recommissioning us. Thank you for forgiving us. God, I pray that this week you would help us not walk in our old patterns, but we would be transformed by the renewing of our mind. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I have, I have an announcement. And um, the announcement is this. Let's give a clap offering or just a clap for those who raise their hands. Yes. It's good. I encourage you guys who did raise your hand to uh, tell a loved one who's not here today. I remember I had um, a unique experience out here at church several years ago. And I said, if I don't tell anyone about it, I'm going to go back to my old ways. So I brought my family into the room and I said, this is what happened to me at church. I'm never going to be the same. Tell someone about it today. Next announcement is this, is we really believe that the experience of the empty cross is really important. So I highly want to encourage all of you, 
every single one of you. We have set up out, outside these doors. You make a left. We have three crosses just a little ways out. We've set up communion out there. We have some paper out there, and we have some balloons. So if, for example, you want to go out there and grab a balloon, and you say, God, I give you this. I give you my heart, or I give you my sin, and you just release it to him. Or if you want to go out there and take communion at the cross, you can do that. <clears throat> or you want to write a note and you want to put it on the cross. And then we encourage you to do that. If you're not going to make your way out to the cross, we have some balloons in the lobby. And um, you can grab those balloons and have that experience with your family. So um, nevertheless, happy Easter, happy Resurrection Day. For those who gave their life to Christ, happy new life. We'd love to chat with you about that. But please... Out here, the next experience is an individual experience. Out these doors to the left, outside. It's going to take you two or three minutes. That's it. Okay? Go have that personal time with God. Amen? All right. I'll see you guys next week.